Thank you for your practice. I'm just scrolling around to see who's here. Some of you I can't see because your your camera's off. Good to see you who I can those of you who I can see. Some of you look better than others, an early teacher of mine used to say. I won't tell you who looks better though. <clears throat> I don't do my hair during the coronavirus either. Actually, I cut it all off. It's easier that way. Okay. Tonight's, uh, the, the title of my talk tonight is How Can I Help? And I, I usually don't title my, my talks unless I, I put them up online. I, I need to enter something into the title field. But this talk specifically is a kind of a rumination or personal reflection on that question, how can I help? And it came, it initially, the idea came initially, I was talking to a friend who owns a local business and uh, they're doing a lot of work to provide food for the, the community here that I, that I live in. And, uh, I was on the phone with them because we were talking about what food I wanted to deliver to my house. And we got through all the logistics of what they could provide and what I wanted. And um, they very abruptly shifted topics and said, you know, I just wish there's something I could do for people. Um, I just wish there's something I could do for people. And I had had the impression that this person was doing quite a lot. And what was particularly, what stood out for me was the, was the tone. This is a person who I know fairly well and there was something different in, in that statement uh, that I, I thought was unique to these times. Um, and so I just, I really started to think about that a lot. Like, how can we help? What does help look like right now? Uh, what do we really mean if we ask, what can we do to help when we're already helping? And then in my one-on-one -on -one work and some of my counseling and mentoring work, the theme continued to come up. Uh, so... It's 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 been a part of my regular discourse over the past significantly over the past two weeks. That that this uh, that this question comes up in my conversations with people is not entirely unusual. Um, 
though that it it seems on occasion recently to be the most pressing thing on someone's mind um, it has a kind of proportionality that is not typical um, and as I have been thinking about these different conversations with people over the past few weeks, I've identified three things that seem uh, that seem different or, or more pronounced in this environment of a pandemic. The first of those three things is that the question itself, how can I help, uh, has a kind of urgency to it, a, um, a, almost a, a, pow- a very powerful impalpable, I think, a very powerful thrust that has seemed to me to come from the same place questions about purpose and meaning often originate. As if almost to suggest a certain kind of realization, um, simply that meaning and helpfulness are inextricably related. The second thing uh, that I'm noticing, um, to me it's been really obvious, uh, I believe for others as for myself, that there is a direct correlation between a genuine inquiry that revolves around how to be helpful in suffering. Uh, A point made by the Buddha himself through his teachings on compassion. Um, A point not limited to Buddhism or even religion or spirituality, but I think something simply of a heightened awareness that is human. Uh, Maybe we could say um, that this connection is something that makes the human humane. And then the third thing that I'm noticing, um, and I alluded to it in my introduction, the the question, how can I be helpful, has been raised or brought forward in words, of course, tonality, even body language, uh, that in my interpretation appears to be particularly selfless. Um, there's something there's something noti- notably different, even if I can't, uh, even if I can't really explain it very well. The 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 question and related questions seem to bear some resemblance uh, or proximity to to non-self in that people's motivations. Uh, have been, as they've shared with me, void of some of the subtle or invisible self-interest that sometimes accompanies our giving. The Buddha said that true giving is is actually very, very rare. Um, so... I almost want to say that people are desperate to help, yet it's not quite desperation, uh, though it's almost as if there's 
a risk of being somehow incomplete if one is not able to adequately help. I think this is often underlying uh, genuine service or um, really showing up uh, in particular times in our life uh, where 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 help is needed. I, I think that there's this sense often that um, if we don't, there's a risk of being incomplete. I've seen people make uh, entire uh, life transitions based on that that feeling alone. Um, if I don't find a way to be helpful, there will be an incompleteness. So, you know, I'm aware of my biases and I'm aware of my my training, and um, so maybe I'm maybe I'm making this up. <clears throat> this this correlation of helping and not self. It's almost a little bit too too Buddhist. Um, maybe I want to see this realization manifest in the world, and so I'm projecting it onto those people who I talk with during the week. Whether I'm Right or wrong, nonetheless, something has felt quite changed in the way this question is being asked right now. Uh, <clears throat> I see it in the in the tenor of journalism too. It's um, th- there's just something more genuine. Uh, a certain, uh, if you will, a certain dense part is the best way I can describe it. A, there's a certain dense part of the self that seems to be punctured in times of great duress. Um, the, the punctured self more, more permeable. So there's, there's something that unites these, these three things that I've been noticing, um, these three facets of the question of helping. From, the, from many of the people that I've spoken with, I have felt something... Uh, the borders on revelatory. Uh, And also there's something very pure, I think, as if the many things pulling at one's life have been distilled down to something that persists when other things have fallen away. And what persists uh, when someone has this, this energy behind that question um, what persists is, 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 is the underlying motivation um, to make sense of something, to understand. How do I help is, is rooted in a, in a subset of questions. Um, how do I understand this? How do I make sense of this? I mean, even, even, the, even the Buddha's whole life quest, his, his, his departure from from the ordinary routines of daily life um, were explicitly to understand the questions of pain and suffering, birth, old age, sickness, and death. You know? What do I, what do, I do? I imagine him asking, what do I do? 
um, what do I do with the fact that aging, sickness, and death are are part of life? You know, he didn't know. He didn't understand. I've always seen um, his journey in, in the path of learning meditation and Buddhist practice to be in all its variations, a response to the question, how do I help? How do I help myself? How do I help other people? How do I help the world that I live in? Thirteenth-century uh, Zen master Dogen, uh, living in uh, Kyoto, Japan, uh, said, "Only keep the question: What is the best way of helping other people? Only keep the question: What is the best way of helping other people?" So for Dogen, at least at the time of his writing this, the question of how to help had risen to the surface. It was the question. When I first became interested in <clears throat> spiritual uh, teachings, teachings that originated within religious tradition. One of the very first books I read was titled, How Can I Help? by Ram Das. Some of you, some of you might know this book. I was going to dig it up in preparation for this talk, but it's in one of eight unpacked boxes over to my left that you can't see, so maybe for the next talk. This book, amongst other things, as I remember it, and, and you know, this would have been over 20, 20 years ago, uh, this book is, is ultimately a reflection on the relationship between helping and seeing the illusion of a separate self. It's a book about, distinctly about, helping as a pathway of spiritual development. Uh, it may very well make the case, as I sometimes do, that um, helping is the spiritual path, not a part of it. In a sense, Ram Das was writing from the perspective of Liberation, when, when we finally understand that the self is created and temporary despite its impressions of solidity, this insight, this understanding feeds the motivation to cut through our attachments. Attachments by their very nature are self-serving. So as attachment decreases, we are naturally more available to others what we can see or understand becomes less and less filtered through modes of self-preservation. At a certain point, we don't have to try so hard to consider the welfare of others simply because we have seen 
time and time again how draining and distracting it is to overfocus on ourselves. We understand, as the Buddha taught, that this overfocus leads to dukkha, it leads to suffering. So we, we set out, many of us, to sort of save ourselves or to free ourselves from this dukkha. And as we learn that there's freedom in turning the attention in a particular kind of way uh, away from our attachments, away from our conditioning, away from our habits, we begin to, we begin to see the world in a different way. Um, when we when we have seen the futility of too much time spent going through life in the usual ways, the mind opens. Not as a figure of speech. Uh, there's a perceptual widening. We see things like we like we we have a pair of glasses on that are new to us and then we practice more and we have a new set of glasses so in this in this openness there is a, a a kind of a reordering of things old hierarchies fall away uh things that used to be on the periphery come to the center so i i think I think that I'm inclined to say that a pandemic can work on us in the same way, at, at least at moments. It, it can inform us like any tragedy, like anything that makes clear the inherent vulnerability of a, of a human life. So then if we are talking about a pandemic, if we're talking about the time that we're all living in, there's this... There's this related question, which is, what do we do when there are few ways to help? What do we do when there are few ways to help? The, the question itself, how do I help, <clears throat> appears not just, not just during a pandemic, I think, um, but it appears sometimes unanswerable. Um, this has also been reflected in my conversations with people recently. Um, people sort of at a loss. While people feel a genuine desire to help, they are also unclear exactly what to do. If they do do something, it feels uh, not enough. It feels insufficient. Uh, and sometimes people feel defeated in that. I think the coronavirus um, has defeated us if it completely shuts us down, uh, if it results in the question going away. Until that point, the question presents itself as a kind of koan. It is, the question is a practice. It's not separate from it. Answering the question is not always the fruit of the practice. Right? It's an aid. The question itself is an aid to waking up. And these 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 subtle and difficult questions of a human life are not supposed to be easy to resolve. Perhaps a quick answer would somehow prevent a deeper form of self-inquiry.
I'd, I'd like to suggest that to sit with the question is to be alive in a very particular kind of way. It is to be engaged with the world in a very important way at this time, even if from the confines of our home. To hold the question is to be in communication with those we cannot see or meet for coffee. To sit with the question is to be in community, truly, not remotely or passively, but actively. To be in relationship to this question is to sit with one, to sit with one of life's greatest contemplations. To sit with the question, how can I help, is to encourage the mind toward its own capacity for empathy. Maybe sitting with the question reveals its fruit or its impact later. To sit with the question, how to help, is to pause, however short or long, our near obsession with questions that revolve around how to meet our own needs. It's to pause temporarily our hope to quench our endless desires, questions that have a remarkable power to separate us from deeper connection to other people. And again, yes, it's also true that current circumstances can make an easy answer to the question, how can I help, hard to come by. Either because A, social distancing presents very real practical challenges and being helpful. Though I think more than that, because it's difficult to see beyond material helpfulness. It's often difficult to see beyond material helpfulness. An easy or adequate answer to the question, how can I help, can be very elusive. I have found myself in these past few weeks wondering, though, how much of its elusiveness might stem from how we view helpfulness, which often tends to be very transactional. I also think that sometimes the very presence of an elusive answer is how we know we are asking the right questions. I suggest this about life in general. It isn't, of course, that such questions are indefinitely unanswerable, but rather that their answer is not yet known. We don't see its resolution clearly. More importantly, we don't see ourselves always in the context of the question clearly. We might not see the question fully and within the frame of Dharma which usually affords a more subtle sense of things. The, the, the Dharma has a way of reaching into the spaces that we cannot see and finding there information about how the world works that reminds us how little we understand.
There's one more piece of this that has coming up for me quite strongly in the past couple weeks while thinking about this topic. And to also frame that as a question, it would sound something like, where is this question, how can I help, when there's no pandemic? Where is this question in our life when there is no pressing tragedy or conflict that jeopardizes our life in some meaningful way? When this question is present in our life, how does it somehow become diluted, infrequent, or less central to our thinking? I've been spending part of my mornings uh, reading, not not Dharma, but fiction um, during this um, stay at home, uh, stay at home reading time. Um, I'm reading right now a book called The Sea by uh, Irish writer John Banville and In the sea, the middle-aged protagonist during a period of grieving after the loss of his wife pontificates, quote, perhaps all of life is no more than a long preparation for the leaving of it. In the Buddhist tradition, the five recollections are offered by the Buddha as a daily reflection. this, This practice is intended to sustain our awareness of the inevitability of sickness, aging, and death. This is not a very popular practice in modern society. Perhaps it's scary. Perhaps it's because as a culture, uh, we tend not to talk about death. Um, Perhaps we are not accustomed to this level of honesty and forthrightness about our life and the living of it. Perhaps we would rather pretend like these things will not happen to us. Perhaps the more lucrative, commodity-prone spirituality uh, that postures as dharma has confused us and made it more difficult to grasp the full reach of a transformative practice. It is one that asks for sacrifices. Perhaps we are not often ready to eliminate our illusions because that would mean we would truly have to live differently. Truth does not accommodate delusion. Truth does not accommodate delusion. Why don't we feel this call toward care or helpfulness when life is more typical? less precarious and therefore also less precious when things are going good or even when they're going good enough. Questions similar to how I can help appear often with serious illness at the end of life. They appear sometimes at divorce, with the loss of a pet, with the loss of a loved one. 
Sometimes they appear with a traumatic event like a job loss or if confronted with the stress of poverty or the inability to live in a way that is meaningful. How does life as usual somehow incentivize a much higher degree of self-focus and even selfishness for people fully capable of empathy and altruism? I think the answer has something to do with the construction of the self, the very thing the Dharma calls into question. And specifically how our mind is constantly organized around self-gain and self-protection. Fundamentally, we are wired, I think the field of neuroscience would agree, to spend our time getting more of something or getting rid of something. The things we want or the things that bother us. There's a lot of I pronouns in the way we orient ourselves in the world. When the Dharma does work, To change our relationship to self, it changes also our relationship to the idea of giving and receiving. It it turns this whole matter upside down. Referring to generosity and uh, giving. In uh, Shantideva's A Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, it is written, quote, If I give this, what shall I have left to enjoy? Such selfish thinking is the way of ghosts. If I give this, what shall I have left to enjoy? Such selfish thinking is the way of ghosts. If I enjoy this, what shall I have left to give? Such selfish thinking is the quality of the gods. If I enjoy this, what shall I have left to give? You see the difference? So do we keep so that we're preserving something that we ourselves can enjoy? Or do we recognize that in keeping whatever it is to enjoy, there's, there's, there's less to give? So I've been obviously thinking a lot about how something like this pandemic we're living in with all the ways it makes life hard. um, This does not harden us if we can feel its impact. And how this is true of suffering in general. If we can let it touch us, in doing so we get closer to the truth of life and this changes us. And I think that's, that's, you know, when I was describing at the beginning of my talk, the way people are asking this question, um, there's evidence of that change, right? So 
So I have in closing just a couple comments on on these first uh, these these three facets of the question that I was noticing. Um, the first was that meaning is clarified through helpfulness, right? So, if meaning is if meaning is clarified through helpfulness or selflessness, or if helpfulness infuses life with a greater sense of purpose, then why do we spend so much time absorbed in self thought? The, the, the second point that I made is that it seems increasingly clear that there's a relationship between suffering and the intention to help. So if that's true, if, if there's a relationship between suffering and helping or giving or generosity, why do we avoid suffering if it opens us so widely that our sense of purpose can be recalibrated to accommodate the welfare of others? And then third and, and last, if, if there's a correlation between the realization of anatta, not self, and our capacity to live with a greater interest in each other's well-being, shouldn't then both formal meditation practice and the types of risk-taking that call into question the narrow ways we define ourselves be truly forward and center in our own lives? shouldn't we break so many of our views and habits that we and others are more truly free because of that? The cliche, we are asleep, comes to mind, right? We are often asleep. And there's a lot of people who are not asleep right now. In 2007, when I was writing my graduate thesis, I asked a very similar question. Are we compassionate stewards of one another's difficulties through our ability to be fully present? And are we able to face the unfolding of human consciousness from the clarity of our own personal practice and experience in life? and from our own inquiry into that which we perceive as self and that which we perceive as other. And finally, to close uh, with a short passage by Nigerian poet and novelist Ben Okri, The most authentic thing about us is our capacity to create, to overcome, to endure, to transform, to love, and to be greater than our suffering. <laughs>